Welcome to Business Line's State of the Economy podcast, where you'll find insight, analysis, and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to another edition of Business Line State of the Economy podcast. I'm your host Ayushi and today we will be discussing the government of India's use of internet shutdowns to maintain order and control over areas of conflict and ethnic violence. At a time when the reports around the adverse impact of the internet shutdowns in the state of Manipur are rampant, the internet shutdown debate comes into foray again uh, very recently the surfshark internet shutdown tracker released quite alarming numbers placing india second only to iran in the number of internet shutdowns that have taken over the first half of 2023 and despite of contradictory evidence around the efficacy of these shutdowns the indian government seems more zealous than ever before to continue to uh, impose or continue to utilize these shutdowns to control the spread of misinformation and control ethnic violence in and conflict in certain in certain areas i have with me two esteemed guests who will explain the ground realities and the public policy theater around internet shutdowns my first guest is namrata maheshwari she is the asia pacific council for access now a non for profit with the mission to extend digital civil rights for people around the world my next guest is chinmay sk who is a technologist and a researcher she is the founder and member of the techno feminist collective called the bachao project and she has worked extensively studying the ground realities of digital censorship so let's begin with you chinmay about what is happening in the state of manipur uh, manipur has just recently gotten partial internet services restored with uh, fixed line access being provided in certain areas but the shutdown went on complete shutdown went on for more than 80 days so what has been the impact of this shutdown on the lives of people of manipur thanks ayushi uh, so manipur has like you mentioned has had over 90 days of internet shutdown a partial internet shutdown is also considered an internet shutdown um so very recently they have had access to some lease lines but otherwise the mobile internet has been shut through this period uh the lease lines were also available through the uh initial few weeks of the internet shutdown um but otherwise largely there has been no access to internet in the state of manipur uh i say no uh, largely no access to internet in the state of manipur because there are very few least lines available for um anyone to use in in the state and most people use mobile internet as their primary mode of internet so which means that internet shutdown has affected each and every part of their lives uh, the biggest impact we've seen recently is that uh, due to the internet shutdown there has been rampant spreading of misinformation rampant spreading of hate um there has been violence as a result of it and there have been rapes and deaths as a result of it so i would say that the internet shutdown has led to more violence and more misinformation as opposed to the reason why it was shut down which was to stop the spread of violence and misinformation so that's the first thing that has happened and one of the bigger um impacts that have that 
have ha- happened to people of manipur uh we've seen how the internet shutdowns in manipur uh have led to uh violence between the two communities wherein the maite community and the kuki community have had certain rumors spread uh within their communities especially the maite community there were one of the uh bigger uh pieces of misinformations was about uh, a killing of a maite woman and uh, the rape of a maite woman which led to that large spread violence and also which led to that shameful video that emerged of two kuki women who were paraded naked and uh, were molested throughout the video and then also and then uh, i believe also uh, went through more violence uh, I, during that period so uh, this has been the biggest failures of uh, the shutdowns that have taken place uh, to prevent the uh, spread of misinformation apart from this um, the lack of internet shutdown has also affected the relief work that has gone on in the state uh, it has affected uh, the kind of news that uh, reporters are able to report from a uh, lot of uh, the news is coming out from where uh reporters have had the access to either the lease lines or have had the means to travel long distances to send reports out of manipur which means a lot of the news reports have not been filed a lot of information has not been shared from what happened in manipur so we still don't have a clear picture of how and what sort of uh atrocities have taken place we still don't have a clearer picture of what sort of support was provided by either by the government or by the armed forces which are in the state uh, to protect the citizens so this is a huge um information gap as a result of internet shutdown uh there has also been uh, no way to provide relief uh to the uh, people of manipur mainly because uh the organizers of relief camps or the organizers of relief materials and people who have been trying to help people are in no way able to connect to people outside of the state only after like the recent relaxation they have been able to have more communication but before that it's been very hard for them to get help from outside which means that the relief camps have had a uh, shortage of materials they have not had the right kind of help uh, people who have been internally displaced have not had the right kind of help they haven't been able to communicate with their own families uh, they haven't been able to um, pay their basic utility bills um uh, students outside of manipur who haven't been able to pay their fees or struggling to pay their fees so we've seen all of this um happening around manipur that um people are struggling to meet their daily needs people are struggling to have this communication uh, with their family and this also has internally is really led to anxiety within the communities um so the impact of internet shutdown um is 
a lot and um, i would say something that we would not be able to justify uh, shutting down the internet chinmay what is the ground reality in this region and how has uh, how has the shutdown really affected the lives of people in manipur Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very broad question, but I'm going to try and answer it in parts. Uh, firstly, to talk about the situation at this point, uh, there has been a little bit more availability of internet connectivity. Uh, there have been uh, these lines which have been open for use. So these are. both private trade lines which uh, what i mean by that is uh, these are broadband lines that indigents have and offices have um and uh, people are able to connect through it um, and talk through it so that's what is happening the mobile internet connectivity is still not bad uh the mobile internet connectivity is super important especially uh, when it comes to hill areas um here in manipur if you look at it uh, the lease lines or the broadband lines uh, they are far and few uh, in the valley that's in, uh, in the impal valley there are quite a lot of connections even in hills there are a few connections but essentially there is no maintenance of the connections and a lot of people in the past few years have moved towards the mobile internet and um, have unsubscribed from their broadband uh, connections so there is definitely some connectivity but it's not that everybody is being connected uh, in manipur so that's the reality in terms of connectivity right um i actually am also very curious because one of the uh one of the key reasons why the government does these internet shutdowns is to spread the uh spread misinformation from sort of becoming rampant in areas of conflict um but reports have emerged that that has not been necessarily an issue information is continuing to be transferred and alternatively it's the verification of this information that is being quelled one of the apps that is used is shareme which is i think using bluetooth services or uh, or like non internet services to sort of transmit videos etc uh, that cannot be verified because nobody in that state has access or has had in the past access to internet so can you tell a bit more about the kind of alternative means of communication that sort of still proliferate in regions of conflict uh despite of internet uh being suspended there um i w- would not be able to generalize for every region but for specifically manipur manipur has always had like human networks there all there has always been organizing in terms of communities in terms of uh, uh sort of uh specifically in terms of communities there has always been organizing and there have been human networks so uh, the word of mouth and the human networks have been large part of what information sharing has been um but because there is one or two sources of this information but there is no way to verify that information like you said the verification has been very hard to do uh yes people have used like near communication day uh 
sort of Bluetooth, they've used some sort of uh, like peer-to-peer communication, but it's not very, very uh, widespread. It is there in certain parts of the state and people have used that to share information. Uh, That's pretty much what I understand of what's happened in Manipur. So moving on to Namrata. So, okay, let's sort of look at the internet shutdowns from a national level. Like we have seen like India has been ranked, let's say, or is routinely being ranked in the top for the number of internet shutdowns that we do since 2018. And we have sort of maintained that supreme position since then. Even the recent report by Surfshark saw that the number of shutdowns that we did in the first half of 2023 was next to only Iran. Uh, I just wanted to understand uh given the scale at which shutdowns are happening in india do they even sort of adhere to the basic supreme court guidelines that we find in the anuradha basim case is that something that like what will you essentially talk about how ubiquitous are they in people's lives and how sort of are they following standard operating procedure kind of laid down by the judiciary or even by let's say the parliamentary committee yeah In addition to being the country that has imposed the maximum number of internet shutdowns for five years in a row, I think we are well on track to continuing that uh, for the sixth year because in uh, 2023 so far, we have already seen roughly 60 internet shutdowns. And remember that is not accounting for every single disruption in the country because not all of them are documented. Uh, As the government had also said before the parliamentary standing committee, when they asked if a database is maintained of all shutdowns, the government said that there is no such database. So uh, that is not even accounting for the full picture. And I think if we look at the numbers and the chart, that's very telling. To give you an example, in 2022, India had 84 shutdowns. India led the pack with that number. And the second was Ukraine with 22. In 2021, India had 106 shutdowns, followed by Myanmar, which had 15. Now, that's a really large margin. And note that the countries that came in second are, in fact, countries that have a lot of political and social and economic instability. They are regions hit by crisis. So I think that is very telling. And one has to ask, we have to ask ourselves as people in India, as the government, as courts, on whether this is permissible and whether this should be happening. On compliance with the Supreme Court's judgment in Anuradha Basin, in 2020, the court very clearly said that the right to connectivity and the right to exercise one's fundamental rights under Article 19 and Article 21, uh, be it the right to carry out one's trade and profession, uh, be it the right to express themselves through the medium of the internet, is a very core component. So any fundamental right can only be restricted through reasonable restrictions for which we have grounds set out in our constitution. The court said that shutdown orders have to be made public, that they can never be indefinite, and they can only be imposed if they are necessary and proportionate. The majority and and the majority of the shutdowns that we see in India contravene all of these grounds. The one that we're seeing in Manipur right now I think very much qualifies as an indefinite shutdown because to access now and to the Keep It On coalition, a shutdown is any intentional disruption of 
and electronic communication or internet in a way that renders it effectively unusable. Right now, mobile internet services are still suspended. Social media platforms are still banned. And the only people who are able to access the internet are people with broadband and fixed line internet. That is a largely urban and institutional user base. That is less than 5% of internet subscribers in India. More than 90% actually rely on mobile internet. So this shutdown very much is indefinite. And I think the broader picture is that blanket internet shutdowns can never be justified. They are never necessary and proportionate and they do far more harm than good. Right. Um, I would also want to know, um, so obviously India has sort of topped the list of internet or uh, being one of the, let's say, one of the countries where the largest number of internet shutdowns happened. I think this has been happening since 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just expand a bit more on in the past year or like just 23, if mm. effectively what have the uh, sort of ground realities or implications been in the various regions from Punjab uh, right now obviously the state imposed section 144 in Gurgaon which also had uh, uh, sort of suspension of internet services and obviously Manipur um, mm. of exact of these sort of shutdowns being imposed and the subsequent impact on people I mean, internet uh, internet shutdowns and its impact has been something that uh, people have researched uh, over and again. And there are certain factors that have always emerged. One is livelihood. One is identity. One is about uh, like um, self-identification. Uh, one is about uh, the right to protest. So... I want to explain each one of them. Uh, Livelihood, anytime there is an internet shutdown, it affects everybody. It's not just the elite who uh, lose uh, out on their work. It's not about just about work from home, but it's also about everybody who depends on internet for their work. And in India right now, uh, dependence on internet for their work is everybody. Uh, It means gig workers, it means daily wagers, it means uh, vegetable vendors, because we have pushed our economy to be based on internet. We have pushed for our transactions to be online. Uh, We have not had an economy that's only transactional or like which has been uh, cash based for a long time and this affects everybody so in india when we talk about economic impact it impacts every uh, community and we've seen that we've seen that when we have interacted with different uh, different professionals Every professional that we met, whether it's hotel businesses, whether it's uh, software engineers, whether it's gig workers, uh, whether it is someone who's who's working in Delhi Wage, everybody has said that during the periods of a period of internet shutdown, they've lost money. Either they've not yet gotten paid, or uh, they have gotten paid very less. So. This is a huge problem. That's the first thing. Second is about identity. We've seen that a lot of our work, a lot of our um, voices are uh, tied to internet at this point. Like a lot of 
if you look at Manipur, you look at uh, the two communities that were there, which were Maite and Kuki. And they internet provided a way for both the communities to represent themselves. When the internet shutdown happened, it happened in such a way that uh, the communities which were able to access some of these lease lines were able to be visible. The communities which were not having that kind of infrastructure were not able to talk about their issues. For example, the Kukuizo community did not have access uh, to internet as much as the Maite community had. And this meant that a lot of the injustices, a lot of the experiences of the Kukuizo community was missing. So a lot tied to our identity is also lost. Um, the third thing that we've seen is basically that especially in India, whenever there is a protest or whenever there is a political sort of um, issue, uh, there is an internet shutdown. So a lot, uh, the right to protest is kind of affected by uh, internet shutdowns, you could say, especially in India, uh, where political dissent is met with internet shutdown. So that's one of the bigger impacts where the voices of dissent or voices of like a protest are not heard just because there is an internet shutdown. And that uh, is what happened when uh, there were internet shutdowns uh, during the farmers' protests or internet shutdowns during uh, the recent protests in Haryana. A lot of um, the dissent is silenced through, through this internet shutdowns. We've also seen that internet shutdowns have an impact on uh, well-being of individuals. We've seen that internet, uh, internet is a form of security for a lot of uh, people, especially uh, women and marginalized communities. Internet is a way for them to communicate with their families and to uh, build a security for themselves. The way they are constantly connected with their families, uh, especially women, um, we've seen that this forms a core part of their security. And the moment there is an internet shutdown, they lose out on that. So that affects the feeling of security and safety for a lot of uh, women and a lot of marginalized communities as well. So that's something else. And the other thing that we have seen is that the psychological well-being is also affected by internet shutdowns. Like, um, contrary to the belief that oh, if we do not see this um, bad news or if we do not see the circulated videos, uh, we will be better off. Uh, the the whole feeling of not being able to uh, uh, talk to a loud one, uh, especially like someone who is a close relative or a friend, and um, not being able to communicate with them about their safety and their needs uh, has impact on individuals. So that's also something that we are not taking into consideration when we put together a blanket shutdown, whether the blanket shutdown is for uh, an 
uh, examination it is for a protest or it is for any other reason uh, it affects in all these kinds of ways to individuals and we have we are not looking at these impacts and the proportionality of this impact as opposed to what internet shutdown could be uh, essentially implemented for all right so uh, what do you like the state is definitely becoming more and more sort of zealous in how they are imposing these shutdowns we had the telecom bill that sort of ratified the power for state as well as central government to impose these shutdowns and even let's say recommendations from the parliamentary standing committee uh, for instance the selective banning of social media apps is sort of being explored by TRAI. I just wanted to get your understanding. Obviously, there is going to be no clear sort of suspension of these shutdowns by the government. The government clearly seems to be uh, uh, intending to use these shutdowns for law enforcement and to control sort of ethnic violence and whatever, even if the evidence suggests otherwise. Um, do you think that these kind of impositions that the state is kind of following right now are are let's say effective somewhat uh, and specifically for selective banning of apps something that DRA is exploring can that be a middle ground to blanket sort of suspension of mobile internet etc well i think at the core of all of this is an impunity around internet shutdown orders uh, the reason we are seeing so many of them is that the framework for accountability does not exist. Let's look at the Parliamentary Standing Committee report. It came out with very clear recommendations, including that you have these powers under the telecom suspension rules, you being the government here. Why are orders still being imposed under the criminal procedure code? This should not be happening. Why is there a central database where all orders of internet shutdowns are available. And this was a component of the Supreme Court judgment. It said orders need to be made available so that they can be challenged. When orders are not available and they cannot be challenged, the ability to get any kind of accountability decreases. So in even the review committee that we have under the telecom suspension rules, RTI data suggests that it doesn't really sit as often or in the meaningful way uh, that it has to in review over internet shutdown orders. So this is the picture that currently exists. In February, um, I think a little over a year after the standing committee report came out, the same standing committee with a different chairperson, in fact, published a report expressing disappointment on the lack of action from the government on the recommendations made by the committee. So even the parliament's effort, whether in the ongoing session as well, right, requests for answers on the situation in Manipur, uh, be it connectivity or other issues, and the reports that we just spoke about, all of them are not leading to any concrete consequences. And linked to that is also the role of courts. We definitely are seeing more litigation around internet shutdowns, especially because they're being imposed on grounds such as preventing cheating in exams and so on. So these are extremely broad and vague grounds, including that they want to co curb quote unquote anti-national elements or uh, protect public law and order. These are all very broad, very vague and difficult to be sort of um, proven as complying with our reasonable restrictions requirement. Now, we are not seeing after Anuradha Basin, 
any concrete steps being taken by other high courts where these matters are pending to bring the government to account. Having said that, there are a couple of ongoing cases where the court has asked for answers on what protocol the government is complying with and so on. But I think we're yet to see uh, a very, very strict compliance as there should be with the Anuradha Paseen judgment. And on the policy theater that you mentioned, right, um, in terms of what is coming up, there is the telecom bill, which gives extremely broad and excessive powers to government authorities to impose shutdowns. So in many ways, it will, in its current form, be far worse than even the current scenario under the telecom suspension rules. And the second is the recommendation from the telecom regulatory authority on selective banning. I want to guard against this and just raise a warning because it seems innocuous, but it's extremely insidious. Um, what will happen with selective banning, for example, let's take the case of Manipur or any region in crisis, people need secure channels to communicate. Let's take the example of a person on the ground who is a source for a journalist reporting on issues in a countrywide, countrywide manner that enables accountability, that gets attention to this issue that's necessary. They will want to speak over encrypted platforms like Signal, for instance. Now, selective banning means that tomorrow, encrypted platforms like WhatsApp, Signal and others will be banned to make sure that only communications that can be surveilled are available to the people there. And that, that can be deeply invasive to fundamental rights and extremely dangerous, where it seems like it's uh, an alternative, but it actually has the same violations of fundamental rights in some ways a lot worse uh, than we are currently seeing. Right. So um, I just wanted to get your, uh, because I mean, obviously the standard argument that the government uses is that these internet shutdowns will uh, will sort of prevent the spread of misinformation, prevent the further percolation of violence. And one thing that we were seeing, we are seeing from reporting that's happening in Manipur now, that the graphic video sort of emerge of these hooky women being assaulted, is that there were also polarizing sort of effects and uh, of the internet shutdown where information was still being shared. There was this app called Share Me that was utilized to share these kind of incendiary videos that was in some cases not even fact, like factually correct um, to sort of further uh, inflame the sentiments of both the meaty and the kooky community. Um, I just wanted to get your, like, do you, where does the evidence stand uh, in terms of these shutdowns really working? And do you think the government has done an ample job in maybe studying the efficacy of these shutdowns in the first place? This is also a question that, in fact, the Parliamentary Standing Committee asked the government. They asked if there are any study studies available on the consequences of these shutdowns and whether they achieve their aim. To my knowledge, there is no in-depth research or, or evidence-based studies that point to whether internet shutdowns in fact help achieve the aims that they are you know, uh, imposed with the objective of achieving. Having said that, on the other hand, the evidence of the harms that they cause is far clearer and far more widely available. And uh, the, the research studies that do exist say that they can in fact sometimes worsen situations of violence 
and amplify the spread of misinformation or disinformation. And this is intuitive, right? Because in order to verify information, one needs to have multiple sources of information. The moment you create an information vacuum through an internet blackout, that ability ceases to exist. So if anything, it will only lead to a wider spread, leaving depriving people of the ability to share accurate information, verify information, and pass that on. There's also studies on the impact that it has from an economic perspective, right? Of course, the rights impact is very clear. People cannot exercise the fundamental rights. People cannot um, share updates or news on what is happening on the ground level on, let's say, social media. It hurts reporting because journalists, media cannot accurately report on what is happening on the ground, either because they have no private channels to communicate with people there in a secure manner, or because these wider social media platforms that are publicly available to share information are rendered unusable. So in that sense, of course, there's a very direct impact on fundamental rights. And like I said, there is absolutely no scenario. Ultimately, any policy has to be a balance between cost and benefits. And whatever hypothetical purported benefits an internet shutdown has, the harms are far more, they are far more well established and they can never be necessary or proportionate, these internet shutdowns in the way that they are imposed. On evidence, again, there's also evidence, rampant evidence, I would say, on the economic costs. There is evidence that over just three months of a communications blockade, lakhs of people lose their jobs. There is evidence that just a month of an internet shutdown can cause can cost a state thousands of crores of rupees. So my point is when all of this data is so clear, when all the data is pointing towards harms to people's rights, to the economy and to democracy at large, and there's no data whatsoever on any of the stated benefits, is it a measure that should be imposed and should be allowed? Yeah, I think I want to take the discussion to probably some of the most, I guess, the most effective voices in the policy theater who are regularly invited by the government to discuss, which is your big tech corporations, entities like NASCOM, etc. Um, do you think that they have sort of played a uh, played their necessary role in sort of controlling the state against or like lent their voices to um, uh, questioning the efficacies of the shutdowns. Like there have been instances where NASCOM has potentially won the state or asked for more judicial oversight for these shutdowns. Recently, Nick Clegg from Meta also questioned the efficacy of, let's say, selectively banning apps or banning apps like WhatsApp in these conflict situations. But do you think that the larger tech com uh, community, which is your big tech players, et cetera, or just generally private entities have done uh, a good job in advocating for uh, more control over these shutdowns? And just generally, is it even something realistic for tech companies to do given how they are regularly at odds with the government on issues around misinformation uh, and other like censorship shutdown in general? I think they can do more in terms of the public advocacy against shutdowns, in terms of supporting initiatives that are trying to protect people's rights. And there is a twofold interest here. One is just their duty, including under the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights. They have a duty to push back against 
measures or orders that would impinge on their users' rights. And the second is also purely commercial, right? Um, a lot of these internet service providers, telecom service providers, and, and others that rely on the internet stack, they are the ones who suffer much of the losses that we discussed. So all these thousands of crores of figures that we are now seeing more and more um, uh, just for a month of shutdown, again, just in one state, um, they, they are the ones who also suffer, apart from, of course, the primary loss being to users, to my mind. But of course, uh, the, the costs are incurred even by these companies. I am certain that they do engage with the government on these issues, but I think that they, there is more that they can do publicly as well as just through proactive action on their behalf. For instance, right now when a shutdown is imposed in a particular place or mobile internet services are suspended, it is not often that the service provider sends an intimation to their subscriber or user. So if the internet goes out, I am left wondering for hours why something is not working. I have to check with people around me. I have to find a way uh, to get online if I can to get information. So if they were to just send an SMS to their users, letting them know that such an order has been received, internet services have been suspended in this re region for so and so time, that the user then knows what is happening. And the second benefit it serves is that it helps with the creation of a database that we've been discussing. Then we have these SMSs to look at when a shutdown was imposed in which region and for how long. So I think that's a first step. There are things that they can do both for the benefit of their users directly and that they can do with the government directly to help civil society ensure that the policies that we're seeing that enhance this power to impose shutdowns in an absolutely unwarranted manner um, are, don't grow in the way that they're currently growing. So I think there's more that these platforms and industry associations in India can do. Um, they rely on the internet for their entire product for offering for their entire service. So um, there's little reason why they should not be doing it. And I would encourage more of them to do it more publicly just so that we can have the conversation in a more multi-stakeholder manner, in a more nuanced way. Just a clarification, because uh, this is something I experienced personally. Did, uh, don't telcos notify uh, consumers about uh, the fact that internet services have been suspended? Because I did receive notifications from Vodafone when uh, services were suspended in Gurgaon, which is where I was living at that point. So uh, is it not something that they are... Uh, notifying the locals about um, no like i said they they do sometimes but one not all telcos do it and two they don't always do it i suspect some of the decision making is based on how long the shutdown is so let's say it's suspended for two hours uh, one may not receive the sms if uh, the suspension happens in let's say maharashtra versus another state uh, there might be differences based on the region if it happens in a village versus in an urban area there might be differences because of that as well. So there is no consistent application in that manner. Uh, there definitely are instances where people are not informed. Correct. Correct. Understood. Um, but lastly, just going back to, uh, I think the courts are playing some role as being the checks and balances against the shutdowns every time you had the Manipur High Court that sort of partially lifted the internet shutdown that is happening in Manipur at this point. Uh, can you speak a bit more about the efficacy of the Supreme Court and the High Courts of these uh, states 
have they played even a limited role in being the necessary checks and balances against the imposition of these shutdowns, you think? I think if we were to look at Anuradha Basin as the starting point in 2020, and then look at what the courts have done thereafter, I don't think it's enough. We should have taken steps ahead, but instead, often we have not even complied with just the guidelines in Anuradha Basin. And when courts have done something, it has been the absolute bare minimum. If we take the example of, example of Manipur, the way in which connectivity has been restored is not a meaningful restoration. The majority, I suspect, is still left without internet access because of the figures we discussed, right? The majority still relies on mobile internet um, and, and social media still remains a crucial tool for people to be able to share information and enable reporting. So in that sense, I don't think they have done enough. Um, and what should be happening is a complete overhaul of not only our regulatory regime, asking that we comply with all the guidelines in Anuradha Basin, but in every, but also that in, in every instance where a petitioner goes to court in a region hit by a shutdown, the court must inquire into whether the thresholds set out by Anuradha Basin were met. Uh, to give you an example, just because a shutdown has ended, a court must not decide that now the matter is infructuous or, or in other words, the matter does not stand because the, sh the shutdown has now been lifted and we can all carry on. Um, I, I think it needs more inquiry than that. Um, and I, I do think courts will play a very important role in the kind of regime we are seeing developing with the telecom bill, with the trial recommendations. Ultimately, we will have to count on the courts to safeguard our fundamental rights. It will happen in the future. I don't think it is happening adequately now. Given the stance of this government, it's I mean, I personally find it quite unrealistic that they will sort of budge because with every sort of law that they have passed, they are sort of obviously being more zealous, more vociferous in sort of these impositions. Is there a realistic middle ground that can be met uh, when we talk about the policy theater, when we talk about judiciary, civil society, tech companies, the government? Is there a way in which something that can be done to kind of restore some kind of checks and balances to this. When we talk about fundamental rights and the violation, if a particular measure, no matter in which form it is imposed, is going to be a violation of fundamental rights, I don't think we can get into talking about a halfway point because it can either be done or not be done. It's either justifiable under our constitution or it is not. And I think internet shutdowns fall in the latter category. But if I was to be optimistic, I do think the awareness around internet shutdowns and the harms that they cause is increasing. More people have now been affected by it. More people are now um, kind of interrogating whether this is something that should be permitted to be done. And I think that will hopefully contribute to the conversation. What happens is anybody's guess. Um, but I do think there is scope for change, whether through the judiciary, whether through increased civil society, media, and, and, and you know, like other, other groups in society, uh, increased participation from them. Um, I, I think there is scope for change. And what exactly that changes is yet to be seen.